0: Live from San Diego, California, we go live to the newsroom with your host, for Nick's Nerd Hello and welcome to Nick's Nerd News. I'm your host, Nick. In this week's type stories, we have things about video games, about TV and movies. As always... But let's get right into it, huh? Red Dead finally beat it. credits rolled, so I finished the both epilogues and all the major chapters and very powerful ending i um I went all good I guess i I had my honor was a hundred percent. there's an achievement for that and and things like that, but I had full honor, so I got um what some people consider the best ending. uh there's actually a couple missions in the later chapters that you can't actually do if you don't have high honor. It will change how the uh, final cutscene plays out before the epilogue start, so that that's what happened to me, and that story plays very well, very, very well throughout the whole game and, and how it how it starts to to transition and, and get you ready for the story that evolves in the first Red Dead game because as 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 most of us all know by now, Red Dead Redemption Two is actually a prequel to the first Red Dead Redemption game. And things start falling into place to explain for obvious character absences in in the first game and and how different things kind of go from there. I I know I mentioned last week how my favorite mission so far had been like the sniping mission from a hot air balloon. And in reality now, my favorite mission is actually, it's it's in chapter 6, you go off riding with the the whole gang, or what's left of the whole gang essentially, which, those tend to be the most awesome missions, they have the best cinematic moments in the game, there's this scene where you're riding on a horse with some of your gang members and then some Native Americans, and you're coming down this hill, and just this big line of horses, and it's oh, it's so fucking cool how how it gets, how it plays out that whole mission is really awesome there's a lot of other good missions in that whole last chapter 6 that are just fucking brilliant in in terms of of how they play, how they look. I, again, like I said, it's it it plays out like a western, but holy shit, I I don't underst- if you have not played this game, I I don't understand why you haven't. Straight up, I I know I said this before, 10 out of 10. 100% 10 out of 10 on that game. That that's as of right now, that's my game of the year. I don't I don't think anything's going to change that. I I mean, I I'm not really I'm only getting what one more game this year. Before we move into 2019, so as of right now, Red Dead Redemption, th- there's nothing con- to compare it to on my end. 10 out of 10, and my game of the year. Also, this game, it's true. I right now, uh, I probably only dabbled a couple hours outside of uh, outside of the campaign. I have about 65 hours in. That that sounds about right because I know Rockstar had said it was going to be about a 60-hour campaign, depending on how how you do things and things like that. But chapter 5 was really short. Chapter 6 is quite long. The two epilogues are are a couple hours themselves, actually, each. They kind of flesh out the story even more to kind of, again, prepare you for what is essentially uh, the first game, Red Dead Redemption. I mean, there's just so much going on in this game, like I said, that I, I've gotten a couple more legendary animals, I've been able to rack up uh, some more challenges, different tried out different horses, gone on a couple different missions to to make more money and man this game leave it to Rockstar to just create an amazing living open world that just you would not expect from from anyone else and and granted they had six what 10 years to make this game pretty much I think it was they've been working on it since before Grand Theft Auto Five came out. I mean, Red Dead Online isn't even out yet, and they had just an unlimited budget, especially with all the money they got from from um, Grand Theft Auto Five. So I, I it'll be interesting to see what Red Dead Online turns into. Because it's not gonna have it's not gonna have the same Modability and playability as as Grand Theft Auto Online because it's it's limited in what you can really do mainly because it's it's this is a Western game it's not a, a modern game where you can throw in car races and and ramps and flying and all these other crazy ridiculous things with weapons and and things like that there's there's only so much that can happen hopefully they they draw inspiration from like old school. Uh, Western movies, almost like how they've been kind of doing on on Grand Theft Auto Online in terms of like going back to other movies and things like that. You know, train heists and like raiding camps and things like this. I mean, people have already gone to Mexico and it's almost fully rendered. So, so I'm, I'm guessing there might actually be story DLC in this one compared to the story DLC we never got, but probably was going to happen for Grand Theft Auto Five. So. But but again, it'll be interesting to see how that, that plays out. Grand Theft Auto Online should be out by the end of the month, if I'm not mistaken, which is, what, a week left, so we'll see when that launches and, and how that plays out. But another big game actually came out last week, and that was the Spyro Reignited Trilogy, which is essentially just an uh, extreme remaster of the first three Spyro games that were on the original PlayStation, uh, s- much in the same vein as the Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy. This remaster was done by Toys for Bob who are who have been doing the Skylanders games, which Spyro is technically a part of. This one un- unlike the Crash games where they just kind of put it on the the same coding and everything like that. If if I'm not mistaken, the original code for Spyro was actually lost in the last twenty years or so, so they, they kinda had to like redo it almost. But or they like worked backwards from a a, a PlayStation copy, but it, it, it looks gorgeous like, uh, unbelievably gorgeous. I'm I'm kind of wishing, like, what they did with the Master Chief Collection, and they should have done this on Crash too, but there should have been an option where you could, like, switch back and forth. Actually, I think there is that option on Crash, but, but anyway, I, I wish there was an option to do that on this one, just to kind of compare the visuals instead of having to, like, go to YouTube and watch, but having a lot of fun with it, just as much fun as I remember as a kid, and it's... It's really interesting to to kind of go back and remember how the certain levels play out, and it, uh, almost a bit of muscle memory that is there from twenty years ago. The Spyro, the first Spyro game, I should say, because I actually beat that one, is a lot easier than I remember it. Like way easier. Granted, I'm a lot older. I understand how how to play games now. I understand what to look for, and and things that are going to be a little different from, um from when you were playing as a a 7-year-old and and you have a little bit better grasp of of how games play and things like that but it it's a lot easier than i remember which is the complete opposite of crash which was actually harder it was actually harder for the remaster cuz they they changed how the the hit bubble around crash worked in the remaster and it, they actually made it smaller so it was harder to do certain jumps and things like that this was this was an actual story it came out later that it was a lot harder, but in terms of difficulty between the two of them, Crash was still harder just in general. I never got very far in the original Crash game, um, whereas I am practically like I practically hundred percented the first Spyro game in a matter of of like two or three days, and there's just a couple um, couple missions that I didn't actually get all the treasure in and it's not like I have all the dragons I have all the dragon eggs if I'm not mistaken it's just I don't have all the treasure and I'm very close to doing that most if any of the levels they're all within the 90% range except for maybe a couple of those missions where like you you fly around and have to do certain uh certain tasks within a, a time limit those those missions where it's just all flying or or gliding in in the sense of Spyro but other than that I've practically just like dominated this game, and it's 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 funny that that I'm going back to this game 20 years later and and pretty much just just dominating. We'll see if that happens with with Spyro 2: Ripto's Rage and Spyro 3: Year of the Dragon, because I know I know the third one they kept like the the difficulty scaling, which if if you're doing a lot better at the game, they would actually make it harder. But we'll see. I'm playing that on my PlayStation 4. I'll I'll have more on that in the in the next couple of weeks. Obviously, as I continue to play and and nostalgia just washes over me. But I'm having a lot of fun with Spyro right now. I mean, if I were to rate it, based off the graphics alone, they brought them, they redid the music, everything like that. I, I don't know, uh, eight out of ten, seven and a half out of ten, just because it's it's a game games I've played and beaten before. I know what to expect. I'm gonna have fun. And this is just a, a a remaster, essentially an HD remaster of those. So I'm still having a lot of fun. Gonna knock those out hopefully before Just Cause comes out in a couple weeks. So we'll we'll see. But that that's really all I have to say about Spyro right now. Just because it's it's a fun game. I've played them all before. I'm just playing them over again. And it's it's like I said, it's muscle memory at this point. So it's not like it's not like I'm learning anything new really or experiencing anything new per se. But let's just kind of get into some some news, have you. Uh, Apparently, Valve is working on their own VR headset to go along with a possible Half-Life VR, which I'm sure would piss a lot of people off since it's not Half-Life 3, which is counterintuitive to Valve, who actually really supports the HTC Vive in in terms of of VR headsets. But no word on that. That's just a rumor. PUBG is actually finally coming to PS4 on December 7th which is really awesome. Hopefully it will get cross-play as well, just bringing more players into the game. Really cool thing though, they didn't really have this on Xbox, but if you pre-order on your PlayStation, you can get the Nathan Drake Desert outfit and um, Ellie's backpack from The Last of Us, but the the Nathan Drake outfit is actually what's really cool, and it's it looks like it's from um, Uncharted 3, uh, you know, the, the the whole section after the plane crashes and all that, but That's really cool. You get to dress as Nathan Drake in PUBG if you pre-order now for PS4. The Game Awards have announced their nominees. Uh, Again, the Game Awards is December 6th at... uh, I don't know what time, but I'll I'll talk about that next week. But the the things I wanted to to mention were the Game of the Year, their uh, nominees for Game of the Year. Assassin's Creed Odyssey, Celeste, God of War, Spider-Man, Monster Hunter World, and Red Dead Redemption 2. Now these are all solid games. Um, I personally have not played Celeste or Monster Hunter World. The Celeste I know is supposed to be, uh, be an amazing indie type game, or is it? It is an indie game, but it's a um, what is it? It's a side scroller Yeah, it's a side scroller, Metroidvania type, pixel pixel pixelated, um, you know, classic classic style. That that's really interesting that a game like that is actually up for. Game of the Year. That's actually really awesome. It's not interesting. It's that's awesome that an indie game like that is is up for up up for Game of the Year, going up against heavyweights like God of War, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, Spider-Man, Red Dead Redemption 2. And that that's a testament to how awesome of a year we had in gaming. Okay. What is this? Three of these are multiplatform and two of them are console exclusive, which just hats off to Sony for owning at least one studio that made an amazing game in house for them, and then uh, I mean, granted, pretty much just providing the license for Insomniac to to make a game, but still, all of these I've again I, I've played four out of the six, and God of War I gave a ten out of ten to, Assassin's Creed Odyssey what I gave a nine I think to, uh, looking back even um, Red Dead Redemption ten, two I gave a ten to I know Monster Hunter World is really fun a lot of people a lot of people like that game. Uh, I know people put like 100 hours into that game, which is insane because that 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 game's huge on its own. It's a that uh, it's an RPG where you can hunt monsters essentially. It is Monster Hunter. And granted, I I know I know that Celeste isn't isn't doing anything like that, but but it it's awesome. It's awesome. Oh no, and I gave I gave Spider Man a ten out of ten as well. So these games have all been amazing games. I'm not even done. I'm not even done with Assassin's Creed because by the time that came out, I was on to, I was on to Red Dead Redemption about halfway through it. So, uh, no, eight point nine. I gave it an eight point nine on that. Um, I haven't I haven't played it in a couple weeks. So so maybe that will change. But still, these games are all awesome. And granted, I like I said just a few minutes ago, Red Dead Redemption Two is my game of the year. Nothing's going to change that. God of War is is a very very close second. Spider Man in a, a close third. It, it it's all within, it's all within just a, a few. Um, I, I don't know. I can't say points because I give them all a ten out of ten. But but in terms of how much I enjoyed it and how much fun I had, well. I don't know about that either, because I had a shit ton of fun in Spider-Man. I had a ton of fun in Red Dead. God of War was just an amazing story. But in, in terms of just full-on immersion and just, like, what I wanted to sink the most time into, definitely Red Dead, and that's, like I said, that's why Red Dead is my game of the year. And more than likely going to be everyone else's. And I'm just fucking happy that Fortnite isn't on there. Because fuck that game. Seriously, fuck that game. And we'll have more news of the Game Awards as, as we get closer and closer to it. THQ Nordic, who I've uh, spoken about in the past. They have Darksiders 3 coming out in the next couple weeks. And they re-released um, Red Faction Guerrilla. And they're coming out with uh, Bio Mutant next. They have said that they have 35 unannounced games still in development. I mean, what? They they just can't buy up every dormant franchise and IP in the industry. They also have to make every fucking game imaginable. It's insane. This company went from like being like minor to being now one of the biggest publishers in the industry. It's crazy. Crazy how many IPs they own and 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 franchises they want to revive and things like this. And then plus they have Metro Exodus coming out In um, a couple months. Because they bought Deep Silver. Like they own so many franchises. So many IPs. It's insane. It's insane. But hey. I know I ranted and raved about this. But EA confirms they are actually doing remasters. Of the original Command and Conquer. And the original Red Alert. All DLC will be included with that. uh, Should launch next year. Uh, Development is underway. Full HD remasters. Boom. No word yet on if they're doing Red Alert 2, which is the sup- superior Red Alert games. But we'll know more about that as, as time goes on. And um, speaking of, of Insomniac, you know, they I've already talked about two of their games today. Uh, they created the original Spyro games. They did the amazing, awesome Spider-Man game that came out a couple months ago. And now their game that came out before Spider-Man, which was a Xbox One exclusive, Sunset Overdrive, is coming to PC and sunset overdrive was was almost like a a spiritual successor to the tony hawk games and jet set radio and it it's it's just it's so fun it's this over the top doesn't take itself seriously at all really funny story um where you play this like um like uh I, I don't know what you'd call him but just like down on his luck guy and he works for this energy drink company and it turns out the energy drink actually turns a, a everyone into, like, zombie-like creatures. And you have to go around the city and, and stop them all and save all these different people. And you can, like, ride the rails around the city, like a skate, like your shoes, like a skateboard or, like, a hook thing that you can hang on. I haven't played it in a while. I actually want to go back and play this game because it's, it's so fucking fun, especially after Spider-Man. Because if you had a lot of fucking fun in Spider-Man, you definitely need to play Sunset Overdrive and if you don't have an Xbox 1 and have a decent PC, I would definitely 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 buy this game. I think it's they said something like 20 30 bucks for it cuz it's a couple years old at this point, but this game so fun. It's just it, it's a big fun map to explore. Customization options are 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 crazy. And then the weapons in this game are are out of control. There there was one that you could shoot like exploding bowling balls from and one that had like um, fireworks on it. There was just crazy weapons in this game, and and there was a lot to do, a lot of verticality to the game, and it, it's just you could tell that they they took a lot and learned from that. Uh, Insomniac did and and applied that to Spider Man later. So it it's it's definitely a game I would one hundred and fifty percent recommend that you play if you've never played it because it's just so fucking fun. Uh, Sunset Overdrive, now out for PC, you can still get it for Xbox One, I, I think it's it's probably on sale somewhere, you can get it used for cheap, or hell, Black Friday everywhere, so you can probably get it for not too expensive, but but definitely try that game if, if you can. Please, I, I can't recommend it enough. Square Enix also announced that they are currently at work at a AAA title for PS5. Who knows on when that's coming out, because as we all know, Square Enix proper takes like 10 years to work on one game. So expect that probably mid-cycle on the PS5. Uh, The Arkham Knight from the third game in the Arkham universe, Batman Arkham Knight, is officially joining the DC Comics universe, so like the actual main universe of the comics. Uh, He's never been in it before, and... They they announced that he's gonna pl- come into play in Detective Comics issue 1000, which is out next year, which also goes hand in hand with Batman's 80th anniversary. Which oh my god, 80 years of Batman that that's insane. And um, they're also uh, releasing like a special edition uh, book to go around for the the 80th anniversary. But 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 anyway, Arkham Knight really awesome character how they they play that out in in the Arkham Knight game. Uh, turns out to be Jason Todd, who in the comics we all know as Red Hood, uh, the current Red Hood, I should say. But they, they didn't say who is going to be taking up the mantle of the Arkham Knight in the comics, because Jason is Red Hood, obviously, already, so it wouldn't make sense story-wise for him to be the Arkham Knight again. But uh, that's that's really awesome that they're they're bringing a character that was kind of uh, on the fringes to the main the main continuity, especially one from a video game. Assassin's Creed and Ubi or Ubisoft, I should say, not Assassin's Creed, has announced a line of Assassin's Creed themed wines. Um, all the different wines. Uh, you can get the the a case of one bottle each for like one hundred and thirty bucks. and I think they said it was like two sixty if you wanted two bottles of each. All from like inspired by the by the different games. Uh, I saw there was an there's an Altair one, an Ezio one, um, a Bayek, and I think Arno, the the French character, but not but not every character, which is weird. I, I don't know. It would have been more interesting if these wines were from like the regions or countries that the games took place, but it doesn't seem that way. At least, I know it was just an initial announcement, so. I'm I'm sure we'll know more in uh in the coming weeks. Uh despite all the rumors and leaks of of, of patents and things like this, Nintendo currently has no plans to release a N sixty four classic this year. Um they haven't ruled out the possibility of, of it next year or anything like that or, or not coming out at all. So I'm I'm guessing it might still be in the cards for the future, but nothing as of yet for a mini uh, beloved console from the 90s to compete with the the PlayStation classic be interesting to have a have like a a redo of the fifth generation console war which was uh the PlayStation and N64 but have them go up against each other in, in the classic version to see wh- which sold uh well well I have an answer for you it's it's um it would be Nintendo and and the only reason I know that is because was it the NPD group the 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 group that tracks all the Sales figures uh, announced the top ten selling console exclusives since nineteen ninety five. Uh, newsflash: they're all Nintendo, so uh, not shocking at all that N sixty four Classic would probably just dominate the shelves because of all. Of course, we all know that while while the PlayStation had superior graphics and games for the most part, the N sixty four is is beloved by all and is still owned and played in many a college dorm room. Uh, purely for Mario Kart, but anyway, no N64 classic, and uh, I really hope Microsoft doesn't release a Xbox Classic because they don't need to because original Xbox games are backwards compatible and the original Xbox isn't as beloved as as some other consoles. Um, speaking of that, uh, Microsoft, uh, there's a rumor right now that Microsoft is working on a diskless Xbox One to be in the $200 or less price point for a console. So it'd be like an entry-level console, which is kind of smart and interesting for them. And to go along with that rumor is that they're working on a trade-in program, I guess, where you could bring a physical copy of the game to, I'm guessing, a Microsoft store or somewhere, and they would give you a digital code. So that way, say your launch Xbox One crapped out or just stopped working because that thing was a beast, And you needed this one. You wouldn't be able to play... And you couldn't afford like an S or an X. But you could afford this one. But if you got it, obviously you wouldn't be able to play your disc games. And I know a lot of people like to have disc-based games for collecting reasons. Myself included. I I still... Well, I do have a large collection of digital games. I I still buy collector's editions, steelbook editions, things like that. But you could trade this in. So obviously this, this console wouldn't be for me. But you could trade it in, get the digital code, so you could have access to it on on this new diskless console, if if it actually comes to fruition. Which also kind of plays into rumors about there being two versions of the next generation Xbox, uh, codename Project Scarlet, where one would be like a streaming box, and one would be a uh, like a traditional console. But this is actually really smart for them to do. Um, not everyone can always buy... Uh, oh, normal expensive console and having like a, a cheaper price point and entry level one to, to go along with that and and then a, a, a digital version because not everyone has the space to buy um every game physically and and maybe they'd be able to put a bigger hard drive in this and, and still keep the cost low because they wouldn't be buying a, a blu-ray drive and, and installing it and things like that so it's interesting um to say the least that that uh, that they're doing this and, and I, I, we'll see if that actually happens. It's just a rumor right now, and, and we'll probably learn more at the Game Awards or something next year. But maybe E3. And speaking of E3, Sony is skipping E3 for the first time in over 25 years. Now, I have a com- conflicted opinion on this. Obviously, if they're going to announce the PS5 next year uh, f- with a 2020 release and have a big announcement in 2019... I can understand that they maybe want to have their own private show to do that, but that's also kind of goes with last year's um, press conference, if you could call it that. It, it was just, it was really disjointed where, you know, they kept, they focused on, on the four main games that they have coming out in the future uh, Ghosts of Tsushima, um, Death Stranding, Days Gone, and. I can't think of the fourth one, but anyway, it was it was disjointed. They would go to these different rooms where they would focus on on the different things where they'd showcase the different games. But in between, they'd have these weird long blocks of 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 talking about different news and reactions and things like this. and And I know that um, I know journalists complained because they were missing out on on announcements because they were being shuffled around to the different. Uh, different venues, essentially, for their. Uh, I guess it was a showcase more than a more than a more than a press conference style, like like the other companies usually do. And and this is a huge blow to the E three. I mean, they're going to be lose. They've been slowly losing major major game titans. You know, EA does their own thing that's separate. Microsoft does. While Microsoft still has a presence in E three, they still do something that's a a little different from. Um, a little different from from what uh, they what would normally happen and and things like this. Sony said they're not going to do anything at all. and And while it makes sense because they maybe don't have anything to show off, and it would just be a retread of, of games they've been showing off for the last two two years or so. I mean, they're, they're not even doing PSX this year, which is their like PlayStation focused showcase event, um, similar to what Microsoft did with Xo. Uh, two weeks ago, but it it it's it's interesting because it, it's almost like oh they're they're showing their hand that maybe we they're, they're lacking because they don't really have anything, but at the same time like they don't want to show all their cards in preparation for the potential announcement for PlayStation Five. So it it it's uh, it, that's that's why I'm kind con- kind of conflicted on this whole thing. It's like good on them for not wasting anyone's time and just being a retread of stuff we've all seen, but at the same time it's like. What what what's going on here? And it's kind of um, I I don't know. I really don't know. I'm excited to see what they do with the future. I mean, they're they they've clearly won this this iteration of the console war. I mean, they they've won this this generation. I should say it it that that's that's quite blatantly clear at this point. But to kind of get they're 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 getting a tad cocky lately. And uh, again, I don't know if. If skipping E3 is a good thing or a bad thing, the future is is going to be different. Microsoft could capitalize this big time, and it, it could hurt Sony in the short term, mainly because major third parties don't always have a venue at E3 to announce their games, and they use the the press conferences of Sony or Microsoft to announce big things. And they're going to be looking for a place to go. And if they don't want to pay for their own venue and space, they're going to want to go to someone who's going to have a huge presence there. And that could help Microsoft in the short term and Sony in the short term, or hurt Sony in the short term, especially leading into the next console generation. So I I don't want to get into this crazy speculative thing because that is in June, and that's seven months away. So I, I don't want to to start saying all these things because Sony hasn't announced what they're gonna do to make up for that. So I, I don't wanna kinda fall into this fanboy type trap. So I'm 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 gonna leave it at that. I'm I'm just gonna say I'm I'm conflicted on it. This could hurt my uh Sony's short term things unless they come out with something else and they probably just don't want to show all their cards too early. And and that's that's probably the main thing of that. But but that that's kinda it for for video games and, and let's just kinda move into Um, let's kind of move into TV shows here. To just kind of transition from video games, uh, Adi Shankar, who said he was going to make a major announcement, uh, regarding a major Japanese property TV show, um, he already produces Castlevania on Netflix, um, turns out it's going to be a new Devil May Cry show on Netflix, I'm guessing anime as well, and he's calling it, uh, it's going to be part of what he calls his bootleg multiverse of shows, but... Whatever I I'm I'm not really a big Castlevania or Devil May Cry fan so I don't I don't know that that's news for some people just not personally to me I know people would care about that though um got some some Arrowverse news uh, looks like John Barrowman is coming back to Arrow John Barrowman is famous for playing Jack Harkness on Doctor Who and of course Malcolm Merlin. The uh, main antagonist to Oliver Queen for most of the first four seasons. Um, sometimes Ally. And uh, I'm really excited. He's actually one of my favorite characters on the show. Other than, than, than Stephen Amell as, as Oliver Queen. But I'm, I'm really happy John Barrowman is coming back. Because he wasn't in last season at all. Or was he? Uh, no, I'm pretty sure he wasn't. But that that's awesome news. Because Arrow has just been fucking chugging along this season. Doing just an awesome job of of this uh this Oliver storyline where he's in prison at Slabside Prison uh, from the comics, you know, and interacting with the different characters he's arrested and and dealing with all that. But uh, like I said, I I wish they had done uh, I wish they had done Doctor. Doctor Strange, I, I guess. I mean, Hugo Strange. Let's let's be honest. There's, there's it's ridiculous that we have a, a Doctor Strange, you know, air quotations here and in, in both universes. But uh, Professor Hugo Strange, whatever you want to call him, uh, that they should have done with 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 the whole manipulative Doctor storyline. But I I think that um that was really good, and it, it all came to a head in this week's episode. Um, where where Oliver is in level 2, what they call it, and it, it turns out that, that Talia al Ghul is there as well. Uh, the daughter of Ra's al Ghul, the daughter of the demon. You know, uh, she was a one-time ally to Oliver, if, if you, you're familiar with the show and the flashbacks, uh, and then she became a villain, um, going up against Nyssa, her, her half-sister, uh, the other sister of Ra's al Ghul, um, who has always been an ally to, to Team Arrow, but... Uh, it was really interesting how they they played off each other in this episode, kind of a bit antagonists uh, to each other, a bit of, of heroes and allies. And then, ultimately, Oliver actually helped her escape, and she aided uh, Felicity and, and, and them on the outside. But I, I really like how they continually bring back characters from the past to be interwoven into the current storylines. Because a lot of shows don't always do this, and... Uh, it it it's it's good to have payoff like this where, where normally Talia is not always a villain, and they kind of turned her too much into a villain last season. But it it's good to have her kind of playing this this ambiguous, gray character, like she is in the comics. Like sometimes she's aligned with Raish and hell bent on 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 decimating things in the world, and then other times because she's so in love with Bruce Wayne and Batman, she's she's a she's a good person. So I I really like how they brought her in for that particular episode. It actually made a lot of sense and helped it uh showed off that they they didn't kill everyone. Granted, it it kind of goes against that whole episode where it they made it seem like everyone died on on Lee and you in that massive explosion, but uh 2 se- two seasons ago. Holy shit. Has it been that long? Yeah, season 5. Holy shit. Any anyway, but it, it it's nice that 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 they're doing that. Um, Ragdoll was finally introduced on The Flash. And holy fuck, that was just creepy as hell. It's They had this contortionist play him. Because Ragdoll's a, a contortionist in the comics. He can fit into weird tiny spaces and pretty much has unbreakable bones. But that episode just creeped me out. It, it wasn't the most well executed, but it just was, was creepy as hell. Um, I will say that. With Legends of Tomorrow, which is just on fire... I like this new character that Maisie Richardson Sellers is playing. Um I she kinda was going nowhere as a Maya the last couple seasons, and ultimately she she decided to stay with her her village at the end of last season, but now they they were hunting a shapeshifter in nineteen sixties England, and there was this whole story about the team has lost their moral center and blah 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 and and this girl, um, because she's a shapeshifter and, and Constantine was trying to send her back to hell, she kind of like transformed into a Maya and no one could do it. But then Constantine took her, her powers away. So she looks like a Maya, but she's this really um, ridiculous, like thuggish, anti hero British type. Because cause Maisie Richardson Sellers is actually British. So she's using her natural accent, natural accent, and. Kind of just having more fun than she did as Amaya, and I and I like that because they're this time the character's not not wasted in essence, and it's it's funny seeing her her camaraderie and her chemistry with with uh, Dominic Purcell's Mick Rory character, who hasn't had a whole lot to do since they killed off uh, Leonard Snart or um, Captain Cold played by um, Wentworth Miller, because Miller and Purcell were the stars of Prison. Prison Break, and they they actually had a real great chemistry because everyone loves that show and it lasted a long time. But the Arrowverse is really great. Speaking of Legends as well, um, Tom Wilson, who most people know as Biff Tannen from Back to the Future, is now in the show, and he's playing a bit of a bit of an antagonistic role. He's, he's playing the father of, of Steel or or Nate Haywood, and um, it, it's really funny that he's uh, come full circle, if you will, and and playing a role in another time travel type show especially with after being in back to the future we finally have a idea have an idea of when game of thrones will return and that has been confirmed for april by hbo no exact date though um but also there was some news concerning the the game of thrones spinoff it's being rumored to be called the long night and is a time frame is is about five thousand years before the main series but again not confirmed just a rumor i'm sure we'll know more in the future Uh, Netflix has ordered an animated World War II show that that will blend CG and live action. No word on release date on that. We got premiere dates for Young Justice, which is going to premiere January 4th, while Titans takes a mid-season break. I think I'm going to wait to get the DC Universe streaming service until Young Justice, mainly because I love Young Justice and that way then I can just binge the first half of Titans so I don't have to just keep waiting every week for it, just knock it out, you know, in that uh, winter time when when a lot of shows are on, on that winter hiatus break so I can finally finish Daredevil Season 3, finally catch up on some other shows I've been waiting to watch, like, you know, Man of the High Castle, things like that. But there's that. Kind of go back to Arrowverse for a second. Looks like they... Uh, I know they announced that they were going to cast Lex Luthor for Supergirl, but this makes no sense at all. They cast John Cryer as Lex Luthor. Now, it makes sense because John Cryer's a great actor. Um, you know, Two and a Half Men, Pretty in Pink, a lot of things. But what doesn't make sense is he's about five years younger than the woman actress Brenda Strong who plays um, his mother in the series. And he's supposed to be uh, supposed to be like Superman's uh, contemporary in the show and, and comics and everything. And John Cryer's about... Fifteen years, uh, fifteen or twenty years older than Tyler Hocklin, who currently plays Superman, and uh, almost ten years older than than like everyone else. So I'm really confused on this. I, I like, I get it, but I I don't get it. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how they explain that in in the the Arrowverse and on Supergirl. And then was this Agents of Shield has gotten a season seven order months before Season 6 even premieres. That's cool. I mean, I, like I said, I, I kind of pity watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I I like it, and there's times where I'm just like, how the fuck is this show still on the air? But my question is, since they pretty much killed off Coulson for real this time at the end of Season 5, will he be in a, Season 6? And granted, they can just rewrite everything because of Season 5 ended with when Infinity War came out, and they can explain those deaths away. And then, obviously, after Avengers 4 comes out, you know, history and, and reality can be rewritten. But still. Which could fix, you know, Fitz dying and Coulson dying, because I don't know how this show could survive without Clark Gregg as Phil Coulson. And especially especially when, when he's, he's going to be coming... Coming back to the, the, the proper MCU, the movies, in, in Captain Marvel next March. You know, he's got a major uh, role in that next to Samuel L. Jackson and, and, and Brie Larson. And then he's not going to be Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Like, this would be the perfect opportunity for them to reintroduce everyone to, to Agent Coulson. And then be like, hey, by the way, he's on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on TV. and Which is a great lead-in to get more people to watch the show. And now that it's going to be on in summer, you know it's not going to be really competing with anything. So, I I hope he's back for season six and the newly announced season seven. Kind of sticking with that. Got two casting announcements for Disney Plus's The Mandalorian. Gina Carano, the former WWE, uh, no, the former UFC fighter, and uh, act she was in uh, Deadpool and Fast Six. Uh, she's joined in *The Mandalorian* in a major role, and they cast the Ma- the the Mandalorian himself in Pedro Pascal. Pedro Pascal is a great actor. He was in *Game of Thrones*. He is um, what is his fucking name? I can't think of his name right now. But he's the one who who gets his eyes gouged out by the mountain in that epic fight uh, duel to the death for Tyrion. And uh, then he was in *Narcos*. He plays Agent Pena, which uh is is. I love him and he was the star of season 2. It's unfortunate he's not going to be in season 3 uh, Narcos Mexico, which is streaming now. But I think he's a perfect person to play the Mandalorian. He he's he can do that um you know, is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? Type thing like this this kind of ambiguous hero anti-hero type kind of blurs the lines, can can go against the grain and things like that. And that that's exactly what Mandalorians are. They're mercenaries. You know, and and he will be the perfect person to play that. I love him and everything he's done and I'm I'm excited for this. I know they're filming that right now for premiere sometime next year. So I'm I'm excited. This things just keep getting better and better and better for the show, and and I'm excited that they cast him. And with that, let's kind of transition into the movie section of today's show. Got a couple major trailers dropped this week. Uh, First of which were two, okay, two teaser trailers for Toy Story 4. And the first one's really interesting. It's got like all the characters kind of dancing in like a a dance circle, like holding hands, and the camera keeps panning around. Some good music, and then it cuts to this like weird, like homemade toy made out of like a plastic spork, and it like freaks out, like I'm not a toy kind of thing, and it kind of setting a, a stage for the the fourth movie. And then, uh, so they actually cast Key and peel in the movie, and uh, there's another teaser where they're they're playing these kind of like stuffed animals that you could win at like a carnival or or fair or something, and. They're talking about, like, Buzz Lightyear and just making fun of Buzz Lightyear, saying, like, oh, what, what is that thing he says? "Uh, To uh, infinity and, and something. And, and they keep doing these different ones. And then Woody and Buzz walk up, and Buzz does it. It's like, it's to infinity and beyond. And then they're like, that's stupid, and just start cracking up. I'm like, that is so Key and Peele. And I'm happy they were able to find a way to work them in, because um, while I didn't watch the show per se, I mean, I've seen a lot of clips. I was I would always watch it if it was on. It was very funny. You know, some of their clips are just are are some of their sketches. I should say are, are timeless. I liked that movie Keanu with the the baby cat. Loved that movie. I'm I'm excited that they get to have some roles, especially in in a a franchise like this that that they'll kind of live on forever. So I'm excited for that. That movie comes out next year. Um, Also got a trailer, unexpectedly, for the Detective Pikachu movie, which is going to be the first live-action Pokemon movie. I was really concerned about how Pokemon would look in a live-action movie, and a little disappointed. Not surprised, but a little disappointed. Some of these Pokemon look amazing. Amazing. And then some look like nightmare fuel, especially the Jigglypuff. But Charizard looks amazing, Mr. Mime looks amazing. I will say this, though. Mr. Mime's shoulders in, in the trailer look like um, those red balls that you used to play with at like, uh, recess and shit in, in elementary school. Like those red rubber balls with that weird pattern on them. And I, I don't know if that's a design choice or just... Granted, it's a trailer, so the effects are not done in any way, shape, or form. But, I, I, I don't know. Uh, Greninja looks amazing in it. Uh, Squirtle looks great. Bulbasaur, Charizard look the best. Jigglypuff is just pure nightmare fuel though. It's weird and furry and I, I don't I don't know. It's weird. E- even Pikachu just looks off. And there's a huge uncanny valley here because again, they don't they look too video gamey, cartoony for this to be like a live action thing where the world is supposed to be lived in with the Pokémon and they still look just too fake. Like, some CG and CGI in movies looks amazing, looks super real, doesn't look, like, off. And I'm hoping this gets cleared up and cleaned up before the movie, because some of them just looked super rubbery. And, 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 I don't know. But what was really cool is I noticed, and then it was confirmed later, that a lot of the designs look like, there's this artist I really like, his name is... RJ Palmer. I've actually bought a couple of his art books, but he did this like realistic Pokemon art series. Uh he's got two books and his he was actually a concept artist on the movie and some of his designs made it in the movie. And and I could tell that cuz the Jigglypuff's like it the Charizard is similar to some of the other ones, but I'm I'm really happy someone like him as talented as him is is getting in to this kind of stuff where his work is being recognized by the Pokemon company and things like that. And and that's really exciting. For that he actually works for Ubisoft now in San Francisco so that's even better he's a uh, he's doing something he loves and and working with it also got a trailer for Dumbo the live action movie very depressing uh as Dumbo would be the thing that I'm a little tiny bit concerned on is there might they might be focusing too much uh too much on the on the human characters and it looks like the the animals won't be talking little concerned. I will pass final judgment on that as we get closer to release, obviously, and, and little more trailers, but that's not sitting right with me as of right now. And uh following up with that, got the announcement of like the most odd and out of left field announcement, but General Mills is looking to create a movie verse centered around their serial monsters, you know, like Boo Berry, Franken uh no, was it Frankenberry, Count Chocula? And is it Booberry? I don't know. I never ate those cereals as a kid. But I, I guess they have a website now where they can, they're they taking pitches for ideas. But why? Well, just why? I, I don't... Like, I get it. Like, if, if any serial character would work as a movie, it's them. But at the same time, why? I, I don't get it. Like, I don't even see commercials for those cereals anymore. I still see a shit ton of commercials for... Fucking frosted flakes and Tony the Tiger and and that little shit, the Tricks Rabbit, and of course, uh, 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 Lucky Charms. That asshole keeping all his Lucky Charms away from the kids. But but a Frankenberry movie, a Count Chocula movie, like this just seems like a pure cash grab if there ever was one ever. But I don't know. Uh, they're also looking at making a new Garfield movie, completely animated, which will be interesting. Um. I guess that would be a better better choice than than uh, the the live action hybrids they did. If they get if they get uh, Bill Murray back, I I could be on board. Maybe someone else. There's other. Oh, Nick Offerman would probably be better as Garfield now, in a semi Ron Swanson type role. That's typecasting, but I I would dig it. Common is not coming back for John Wick three, which is a little sad. They started filming Godzilla vs Kong, which is supposed to come out in about two or three years. Which is cool to to follow up right away after uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters because you know there's been a first off there's been a huge gap in between Godzilla and Godzilla King of the Monsters and now it's still even been a few years since uh, uh, the Kong Skull Island movie so interesting that they're getting those off the bat right away um, you know speaking of Bill Murray Dan Aykroyd says that there's a possibility of a reunion of the still three living Ghostbusters. And a third Ghostbusters is being written, especially after the failure of, what are they calling it, Ghostbusters Answer the Call now, the Melissa McCarthy one. We got casting news for Birds of Prey, the uh, new DC movie. They cast their Cassandra Cain. Uh It's a newcomer named Ella J. Bosco. No word on if she's actually going to be suiting up as Batgirl or just the earlier version of Cassandra Kane when she was a newly orphaned and an assassin and, and trying to find the people who killed her parents. But... That's kind of it for movies. Bit of a slow week, you know. Thanksgiving is this week. Um, by the time we publish, you will uh, be eating turkey and mashed potatoes and gravy. But before we before we sign off, got a, a little bit of news. We we finally got some news regarding the Star Wars Galaxy's Edge expansion to Disneyland and Walt Disney World. Uh, John Williams will be scoring the music for the area, and it's um they released a, a clip of it. I I'm not feeling it. Like there's there's hints of Star Wars and and stuff, but it still sounds way too Disneylandy music, like theme park music. And and I get that's probably what they wanted from him, but a lot of people like it. I'm I'm not feeling it. You you can find it on YouTube. It it's just it does it's not Star Warsy enough for me. I I don't know. They also released a trailer um for the new ride which is going to be called Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run and Apparently, the choices you make and how you perform on the ride, because it's one of these, uh, it's probably going to be similar to like the Buzz Lightyear ride and and um, what's it called, Toy Story Mania. And uh, however you do, will affect your score and your reputation in Galaxy's Edge. Don't know how that's going to work. Also, they announced that there's going to be a ride. There was a bit of a trailer for this one too. Uh, the other ride is going to be called Rise of the Resistance. It's going to take place on a First Order Star Destroyer and uh, take place in the middle of a battle and Things like that. Um, nothing really known about that just yet. And then also one of the coolest characters that was in both Star Wars Clone, the Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels uh, is going to be uh, a character in the park, a costume character, Hondo Onaka. Uh, you know the what is he a weak a weak way? That's that's his his uh, his alien race uh, pirate. He's the one who's got the um, like that shellfish creature type hat on, and the one with like the spiky chin. Anyway, uh, uh, Jim Cummings, who's famous for playing Winnie the Pooh and, and the new voice of Ka the Snake from the Jungle Book and stuff, um, voiced him as well. But he's going to be in a costume character in Galaxy's Edge. So that's really cool. Some news on that. That's opening um, summer 2019 in Disneyland and fall nineteen for Walt Disney World. But uh, like I said a few minutes ago... You know Thanksgiving this week. I'm thankful for all of my fans that are our listeners, and I'm thankful for all you guys for for tuning in every week. You know I'm thankful for this podcast. Black Friday deals are live on your various um, you know console stores and Steam. Hell, I just got a, a Steam link. Normally it's 50 bucks. I got it for 250. Where you can hook up. It's this little like streaming type thing where you can connect to your Steam computer and play your Steam games on a TV. Um, 250. $2.50 plus shipping and handling, I guess they're discontinuing it, so they're selling it at 95% off. Huge game sale on Xbox Live, on the the PSN store there's a big sale, you know, GameStop, all the stores. I will say this, never buy a TV on Black Friday, though, because they are specially made, cheap TVs just for Black Friday, so be wary, they are not of the highest quality. Um, just a, a PSA right there for you. But, again, Thanks for tuning in this week. As always, be yourself, do what you think is right, fuck the haters, right, as I always say. And uh, tune in next week, I'll have a review up for Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald, and a whole lot of different things to talk about. So, catch you on the flip side, y'all.